You're listening to The Desk Set, a bookish podcast for reading broadly. We're your hosts, Emily Calkins and Britta Barrett. And on this episode, we're talking about a special category of staff picks, romance. We'll talk to uh, author Jasmine Guillory about her new book, Party of Two. And then we'll have a conversation with adult services librarian, Jennifer Fairchild, who's a big romance reader. We're talking especially about uh, romance by authors of color today. So thanks for being with us today. Can you please introduce yourself? My name is Jasmine Guillory. Um, I am a romance author and my most recent book is Party of Two. So I want to start by asking, are you a pie person or a cake person? As I think comes through in the book, I do not think you have to declare an allegiance to either cake or pie. I love (laughs) both. um, And I just want to celebrate the best of both worlds. (laughs) <laughs> That's fair. How about a favorite pie and a favorite cake? So favorite cake is obviously yellow cake with chocolate frosting, which is the best cake in the world. Yeah, um, you're not wrong. And favorite pie, you know, that can really depend on the season because I really love fruit pies. And so it really depends on like what fruit is available. Right now it's the summer, so I love um, fruit pies with stone fruit. Peaches and nectarines are probably my favorite in fruit pies, but I also really love like when you combine them with berries like blackberries. Oh, it's I just love it. (laughs) I am hungry now. It's ten thirty (laughs) a.m. I would like some pie. So now that we've got that really important question out of the way, can you tell us a little bit more about Party of Two? Um, yes, it is not just a book about dessert. <laughs> um, Party of Two is about Olivia Monroe, who um, moves home to California at the very beginning of the book. She had been a lawyer in New York City. She moves to California, to Los Angeles, to start a law firm with one of her best friends. Um, and early on, when she's there, she's sitting at her hotel bar. She hasn't even moved into her new house yet. And she gets into a conversation with a charming stranger at the bar. They talk about dessert as well as other things. And when she gets back to her hotel room, she turns on the news and discovers that the charming stranger that she was chatting with is the senator from California, um, Max Powell. They run into each other again a few weeks later. And Max, who has been thinking about Olivia for weeks, uh, jumps on that and starts pursuing her and wants to go out. And so they tent first tentatively and then, um, and then more purposefully start a relationship. Uh, so many of your books, including this one, feature interracial couples. Can you talk a little bit about how race plays out in Max and Olivia's relationship and why it's important for you to include discussions about race in your books? Yeah, I mean, you know, both Max and Olivia are shaped by their race. Um, They have the experiences that they've had in their lives have, you know, race has played a role in all of them. And some of that Max doesn't realize because, you know, he's a white man. He's the default. He doesn't kind of recognize um, to as much uh, the extent that race has played in his life. But, you know, they have really conversations about race that come up, I I hope, at least in a natural way. You know, they're the kinds of conversations that I've had 
throughout my life with, with friends and family members, as we start to really talk about the experiences that we've had, um, what has shaped us, the work that we've done, why we care about the things that we care about. And so they have those relationships, those, they have those conversations in their relationship, um, kind of throughout the book as they figure out, you know, that they really do care about each other and want to be in a relationship with one another. And they really, um, those conversations really help them to get to know each other. Well, this question actually kind of goes along with what we were just talking about. Uh, While I was reading the book, I really like the way that Olivia and Max talk about Olivia's experience being a lawyer and a woman of color. And I really like that Max is totally attuned to how racism and sexism impact her career. So can you talk a little bit more about your inspiration for that and how you wanted to put that in the book and in the make it realistic? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, so many women that I know have had the experience that I think we can all relate to, which is you're at a meeting, you say something, nobody pays attention to it. Five minutes later, a man there says the exact same thing. And everyone's like, oh, that's such a great point. And you're just sitting there like, no, am I invisible here? And so those are the kinds of, those are the kind of experiences that Olivia's had, even when she was more accomplished and more experienced than the men that she was working with, they were often the ones who got the credit. And so, you know, those are things that she's honest about with Max. And Max has, you know, he he doesn't come into this book as someone who has never paid attention to race or sexism in his life. And I don't I don't think Olivia would have wanted to be in a relationship with him if he was that person. Um, and so he those are things that he has paid attention to and that he does recognize. And so they have honest conversations about that. And, you know, some of that is the reason why she decided to start her own law firm um, so that she could be the boss and not have to deal with people like that anymore. And, you know, she does still have to deal with people like that. She has clients, she interacts with people in society, but it is a different experience than when they're in, you know, your day-to-day life and when they, they're the people who control your career. And so those are some of the things that Olivia and Max talk about pretty early on in the book. Um, so I know from following you on Twitter that you're a royal watcher and you have, in fact, a monarchy adjacent book called Royal Holiday, which is really wonderful. Also, um, was any of Party of Two inspired by Meghan and Harry's very public interracial romance? Um, you know, there were a few little things that I really thought about in writing this book because I I followed Meghan and Harry very closely and, you know, in some of the attacks that Megan got after um, Megan and Harry went public, there's a lot of similarity there in some of the attacks that Olivia gets after she and Max go public. And so those are things that I really thought about and paid attention to. Um, you know, it's the same, you know, a lot of times black women get attacked for similar things over and over again, even if they don't make sense at all. And so some of that was really came into play in this book. So I am also a royal watcher and I especially notice there's a moment where they've gone public and he, Max wants to make a statement that says like, hey, you all are being racist basically and you need to back off. And I was reminded of when Harry did that. And I thought it was interesting that Olivia kind of discourages him from doing that. Can you talk about sort of what you were thinking about her character and why she might have a different opinion on that than maybe Megan did? Yeah, I mean, you know, Olivia, like one of the one of the key 
things in this book is that Olivia is not a person who wants the spotlight on her. And so Olivia and, and she, she, I think throughout the book is kind of trying to pretend to herself that she can have this relationship with Max without there being a spotlight on her. Um, even when it happens, she keeps thinking like, it's going to go away. It'll stop. It'll stop. I can do this without that. And, and, you know, there's some ways in which it'll go down and up. And, but so when he wants to put out a statement, she just wants to keep hiding. Like she doesn't, she doesn't want people to pay attention to her anymore. She's had enough. She's done with it. She just hopes that life can go back to normal and she doesn't have to deal with anything anymore. Um, Okay. So Olivia and Max are both active in addressing social justice issues. What made you want to highlight social justice in this book? You know, it wasn't so much that, that I specifically wanted to highlight social justice in this book is that it just seemed true to the characters. Like I was thinking about, I was trying to think about who Max would be, you know, early on I knew he was young. He's in his thirties. He's a Senator. How could someone relatively young in that age get to become the Senator of um, the state of California, which is a pretty big state, very high profile job. And so I started thinking about his background and what would he care about and what got him into this job and um, what inspired him to run in the first place. And so, you know, I started like, I realized that a person like Max, at least the the Max that I imagined, um, would care about criminal justice. And that was really what was what made him want to have this job and what made him run. And that is something that Olivia really cares about as well. And so, you know, that's something that where they have common ground and how they grow to talk about issues and then fall in love. So this is sort of related. Something that I really enjoy about your books is that the characters, especially the women, have careers that are a big part of their identity. So what interests you about writing career-oriented characters and how do you decide what their careers are going to be? Um, you know, that's interesting. I I mean, when I... Olivia was a character in a previous um, book of mine. She was She's the sister of Alexa, who's the main character in The Wedding Date, my first book. And so I knew early on that she was a lawyer. But I didn't know, you know, when I came into this book, I wasn't quite sure where she was in her legal career. Because we knew from the wedding day that she had been a partner at her law firm. But I was thinking, like, does she move back to California? Why would she do that? What is behind that? And so thinking about someone's job often tells me a lot about who they are as a person, where they came from, what choices that they've made in their life gets them to that spot, what they're passionate about, what they care about. Is it their job that they're passionate about? What do they care about in their community? Like those are all the things that I kind of think through and write through as I am writing new characters and, and learning more about them. And then once I learn about them, I can kind of write about them better. So speaking of, so I relate to many of Olivia's quirks, likes, and dislikes, and even her relationship with Max mirrors my own in many ways. And although I'd like to think that my life inspired your writing, I know that isn't the case, but I'd love to know more about how you created her character. A lot of times as I'm writing characters, you know, my first drafts, I'm often just 
brainstorming and writing through the characters and teaching myself about the character. And so I just kind of kept writing Olivia, seeing what she would do, you know, kind of brainstorming on the page. I think a lot of, you know, I know a lot of writers do this in many different ways. Either they come up with character sheets at the beginning or, you know, have a whole idea of the character when they come in. I had, I knew some about Olivia coming into this book because I, partly because I'd written about her in other books. And also I, I knew that I liked her enough to want to write about her. So there were certain things that I knew, but some of it I just discovered as I was writing and I had her talk to other people and tell them about her life. And that told me a lot. And, and then seeing, I mean, for me, one of the biggest things in any romance is what are the characteristics in this person that will make someone else fall in love with them? And then what makes them fall in love with someone else? So I learned a lot about Olivia in seeing like, what would make her fall in love with Max? Why would she care about Max? You know, what is, what in him would draw her and then, and then vice versa about Max. And so those are kind of the ways that I discovered each of them. So are you a Dolly Parton fan? (laughs) (laughs) I am. It's funny because, you know, I feel like I have learned a lot more about Dolly Parton in the past few years than I ever knew about her. Um, And the more I learn about Dolly Parton, like the more I fall in love with her. She's like, there's so much about her that's wonderful. She gives out books to children and she's written so many songs that I hadn't known that she'd written, like, as well as being talented in so many other ways she's an inspiration so is this like a lifelong love of her music or did you how did you discover her no it's actually pretty recent you know with like I mean I discover a lot of music through other friends and so so I've discovered some of her music through friends but I discovered more about her through like other people telling me things and then reading stuff about her and learning more and more it's it's great the things you learn as adult it's amazing yeah. <laughs> she does seem like a pretty amazing person. And I have to admit, like, the fact that Max and Olivia uh, like her, I was like, maybe I should check her out. I only yeah. know a few of her songs. So. <laughs> um, all right. So what are you reading right now? Um, right now, I have been, I, I always kind of jump in between a number of books. Um, I always kind of have like, a nonfiction and fiction that I'm reading at the same time. And and then I'm often like rereading something. So the nonfiction that I'm reading is it's called the black count. It's about um, Alexander Dumas's father, which there's so much in that story that I didn't know of. Like I, I have loved a lot of Alexander Dumas's books. I love the count of Monte Cristo and a lot in that book was taken from his father's life. Like his father was imprisoned um, kind of secretly and taken away. And his, his escape and his revenge was not as, as, you know, exciting as um, the book is, but you find out so much about him in reading the book and so much that I never knew. And that, so that one I'm like reading in, in chunks. Um, And then I also just started reading Queen Move by Kennedy Ryan, who's another black romance author, who's fantastic. Um, I have a one last question, which is about dialogue, because one of the things I love about Party of Two is it, it feels like you're just hanging out with them. And both Max and Olivia feel like these real people, like these 
real characters, like people that you would know. And I'm so curious how you get the dialogue to sound so natural. Like, are you sitting in your house talking to yourself, testing things out to see how they sound? Uh, yes, often. <laughs> I do <laughs> talk to myself a lot. Um, I also eavesdrop a lot. You know, it's kind of impossible to do that right now. Um, but I kind of listen to other people and see how they talk. I mean, a lot of times you're talking kind of half sentences, especially with people that you know well. And so learning out those speech patterns and seeing how people will talk differently when they know someone versus when they don't um, is also really interesting to me. But then I, you know, I also have like read and reread other books that I feel like do dialogue well to figure out how, why that is, what, what about the dialogue really resonates with me. And so I pay attention to other books as well as to the, to speech patterns and other people and see how that translates into fiction. So thank you very much. That's the thing I've worked hard on. Oh, well, I think it really shows. Uh, and you just alluded to this, but I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about how being in quarantine has changed your writing and reading life. Yeah, you know, it has been really different. I mean, I think one of the things that I have gotten a lot of inspiration from in the past is talking to other people, you know, talking to people about their lives and their experiences and and what has what has changed them and what has inspired them and and a lot of times it's casual conversation, right? It's not like I'm not in, I'm not having conversations with people on purpose to get inspiration. I'm just talking to friends. And then I think, oh, that's perfect. And so I have missed that a lot. Um, and I definitely have been reading in a very different way than I did before. My attention span is much shorter <laughs> now. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like we all have att short attention spans. Time has no real meaning uh, these days. <laughs> and so I've been reading, I've also been reading a lot of um, middle grade fiction. I feel mm -hmm. like children's books are kind of perfect for this moment because they're written for kids who have short attention spans. And so that they can kind of jump into my brain a lot faster. Um, so I, so that is something that I have been really diving into that I hadn't read as much of um, in the past few years. And now I'm getting really into it. Nice. Can you share a couple of titles with us? Yeah. Um, one book that I loved, uh, which the title will make you laugh because there's a lot of that in my book. It's called The Summer of a Thousand Pies. Um, <laughs> and, but it is a, a really delightful book that also there's a lot of like real world um, issues in it. It's about a girl who her she you know, it's just her and her dad. Her mom had died he um, gets arrested. And so she has to go live with her aunt who she has never really had a relationship with. And her aunt owns her bakery. And so that's where the pies come in. But there's a lot in the book about, you know, the way that she grew up with her dad, the struggle that she has, you know, with her father in jail and trying to deal with that and learning how to live with her aunt in a more stable environment than she's had. Um, and it, you know, I really cared about everyone in the book. It was a really wonderful story. And then all the pie baking is fantastic. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me.
Jennifer, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do at KCLS? Yeah, I'm a, an adult services librarian at the Renton and Skyway Libraries. And part of what I do uh, with my programming is run a romance reading series where I have selected four books um, that we read for once, once a month. And uh, I try to find, you know, inclusive and diverse romance so that we're reading all different types of subgenres and with all different types of voices uh, being heard. So it's been really fun and definitely um, have read a lot more romance than ever. Sounds awesome. What are some of your favorites that you read recently? Actually, one of the best books I've read so far this year, it was actually Jasmine Guillory's um, Party of Two, which we just heard about. Um, it's just really funny, super relatable, and um, I just couldn't put it down. What about you, Emily? Yeah, I also loved Party of Two. The other one that I've read really recently was Take a Hint, Danny Brown by Talia Hibbert. She's a Black British writer, so her books are all set in the UK and her characters are Black and British. And Take a Hint, Danny Brown is about a young woman who's a, on her way to becoming a college professor. And she has this sort of accidental moment with a friend of hers who's the security guard for her building. He's Pakistani and he's carrying her out of the building during a fire drill. They're caught on camera and it turns into this whole situation where they have to maintain this fake romance to support this charity that he started. And of course, because it's a romance novel, a fake romance can't stay a fake romance. Uh, but it was just really like uh, Jennifer was saying about Jasmine's books, just like really fun. I love the comfort of reading romance. For me, it's something that can always sort of like restart me if I get into a reading slump. Like I know what I'm getting and I, I really appreciate that. What do you think are some of the key features that define romance as a genre? So I think there's two. Uh, the first is that the sort of central plot piece is a love story. And I will say that as a read, as a romance reader, I prefer a romance that has a secondary plot that's not about the relationship between the characters. And I like it when the obstacles that they're facing are not just their sort of emotional lives, but also some kind of, um, you know, structural thing or some kind of uh, like their jobs can't fit together. Like we talked about with Party of Two. But that central love story is the number one. And then number two, the best thing about a romance is you know you're going to get a, an emotionally satisfying happy ending. Happy ever after is a must for romance. Are there exceptions to that? I don't think so. Jennifer, can you think of any exceptions? I can't. And yeah, if you look up romance and what the definition is, it definitely has to have a happy ending. So sometimes that happy ending won't be super definitive. Like you just, maybe they, they are going to date, but you don't know for how long. Um, sometimes they are, they do end up getting married, but, um, but yeah, they definitely end up together and happy. Yeah. So there's, there's the H E A, which is a happy ever after and the H F H F N, which is happy for now. So sometimes when you have series that have featured the same people, the same couple, I think this is especially true in like paranormal romance, although I'm not an expert in paranormal at all. So take this with a grain of salt, but that you get that happy for now a little bit more often because they're going to face like, I don't know, there's like an invasion of the other uh, people who transform into honey badgers. There is actually a honey badger paranormal series. I'm not joking. Uh, this is one of the things I love about romance is like, it is so 
deep and wide as a genre. Like there is something for everybody in there. I really think that's true. As long as you are wanting a happy ever after, which I don't know right now, I don't know anyone who doesn't want a happy ending sometimes. Are there other subgenres of romance that you think uh, people new to the genre as a whole might be surprised by? There is a science fiction uh, romance subgenre. Um, it's maybe not as uh, deep as some of the others, like a Regency romance where there's, you know, just thousands and thousands of them, but there definitely are romances that take place in space in the future. And, uh, that's a lot of fun. My impression. And again, there's so much romance that I, I know that I don't know all of the authors, but my impression is that contemporary romances. So like Jasmine, like Talia Hibbert, um, some other favorites that we can talk about in a minute tend to be, there tends to be the greatest diversity there. Uh, I think some of the other subgenres are still kind of catching up, but there's really, I feel like we're really having a wonderful moment and I hope that it isn't just a moment. Like I hope that it sticks where we get to see so many different kinds of stories just in contemporary romance, um, people writing from different kinds of points of view. I wonder if you more we should look out for. Uh, so in addition to Talia Hibbert, I really love Helen Huang. She wrote The Kiss Quotient, which I think I've talked about on the show before. And she has another one called The Bride Test. She is half Vietnamese and she's also on the autism spectrum. And you see that represented in, in both of her books. So in The Kiss Quotient, the female lead, Stella, is um, neurodivergent. She's autistic. And the male lead comes from a big family that's half Swedish and half Vietnamese. And he has... So he has this Vietnamese grandmother who's a wonderful character. And there's a lot about sort of that family. And there's a lot of like great scenes set around their table. And food is a big part of it. And then in The Bride Test, um, the lead is his cousin, Kai, who's also autistic. And then um, the romantic interest is a woman named Esme, who's a Vietnamese immigrant. She actually comes over as part of the scheme that Kai's mom has set up to get him to get married because he's like too old in his family to be unmarried. Um, and there's a really nice note at the end of the book. You know, I don't think we think about romance as being like inspired by true events, but Helen has written this really nice note about how Esme's life is inspired by her mom's life. So her mom was a Vietnamese immigrant who came over not speaking a lot of English and like, you know, really did a lot for her family. And that story inspired this wonderful romance. that's about these two people who are very different kind of figuring out, how they can take care of each other and how they can care for each other. Uh, so I love her. How about you, Jennifer? Other favorite? Yeah. Um, what you said about the uh, stories being inspired by real life reminded me of Alexa Martin. So she's a newer author to the romance genre. Um, and she used, she's married to a uh, former NFL player. And so she uses her experience as an NFL wife uh, to write these books that are all set in Colorado. And it's all has to do with women who fall in love with professional athletes who play for the local football team. And so there definitely is like this big sports or, you know, football focus, but you don't really have to like sports to enjoy them. I mean, I don't, I'm not a big sports person and I definitely really like these. There's, um, you know, hardworking, snarky characters, very steamy romances. Um, and, you know, there, there's three books in the series so far and there's a new book coming out in October. They all have football related uh, titles. So there's like Intercepted, Fumbled, Blitzed, and the new one is called Snapped. I also wanted to mention um, Jackie Lau. 
She's a Canadian author who writes funny contemporary romance with Asian characters. And she has several series with characters that are really easy to like. And they also have silly titles that I really appreciate, like Grumpy Ex-Boyfriend and Ice Cream Lover. So (laughs) I would definitely check her out. All right. She's going on my to read list. Um, I'm also a fan of Alyssa Cole, who writes contemporary, but she also writes historical. And like I said, I feel like historical romance, there is a precedent for authors of color writing characters of color in historical romance. Beverly Jenkins is like a long, long time uh, queen of historical romance um, about African-American characters, but there isn't as much. And so Alyssa Cole writes contemporary. She has this wonderful contemporary series that's sort of like... um, the YA series where the girl finds out she's the princess of Genovia. The princess diaries. Yeah. The princess diaries. Thank you. It's basically that, but like romance with, um, people of color in the lead. So the first one is like about this woman who's a scientist in New York and she keeps getting these emails that she thinks are scams. It's like, you're, you're, we're trying to get in touch with you on behalf of the prince of this tiny African country. But it turns out that like as a child, she was born in this country. It's an imaginary place and like rescued to New York. And, but she was engaged to the prince and he's like actually a real person. And they have this, she has to go there and like have this wonderful romance. They're really fun. And then she has a historical series that's set during the civil war. And the characters are part of this spy network that's working on behalf of the union to take down the Confederacy. So those are pretty fun too. So I don't read a lot of romance because I don't read a lot of fiction in general. Um, But I do have a very soft spot in my heart for like teen rom-com movies and TV shows. There have been so many good ones lately inspired by books. Things like To All the Boys I Loved Before on Netflix, which was amazing. Um, The Love, Simon Book has also spawned another Hulu series, Love Victor, uh, which is really great. Um, and I'm hoping that someone picks up Emergency Contact by Mary H.K. Choi. I don't know. Do you consider that a romance, Emily? Um, maybe. I don't know. It's kind of hard. I think in YA, it's a little bit in young adult books. It's a little bit the lines are a little bit more blurry. Like there's not this, and that's true of across genres. I think in in young adult fiction. I would go, I would say yes, because it does have like this, their relationship is sort of the, the central plot in the story. And you do get spoiler alert, sorry, a happy ending. Um, but it doesn't feel, it doesn't have sort of the feel of a romance of an adult romance novel in the same way. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to go. Yes. Sorry. That was a long way of coming, me coming around to say, yes, I do think emergency contact is a romance novel. Uh, about it feels different because in some ways they're new adults rather than young adults, they're college kids. Right. And there is, because of that, I think there's a real coming of age element to the story that feels different than something you would get in an adult, an adult romance. Although one of the things that I like about romance is that you get to see characters sort of working through a lot of stuff. It's really, it's really like a safe space and it's cool because you get to see like in Talia Hibbert's first book, get a life, Chloe Brown, the main character, Chloe is disabled. She's chronically ill. She's like clearly a fat character, but there's no, that's not a problem. You know, that's sort of who she is and it informs the story, but it's not a problem to be solved by the story. Uh, 
And I think that that is one of the really great things about, about inclusive romance is like, it feels everybody gets to have joy in these stories. I think sometimes there's an expectation when we read, especially historical literature, but just literature in general about people of color, there's this expectation on behalf of the publishing industry or on behalf of white readers, or there's sort of this limitation about what kinds of stories can be told. And, you know, we get lots of like um, civil rights narratives and stories about slavery. And those are important stories, but they're not always joyful stories. And romance is sort of inherently joyful. And so it's really fun to read diverse romances because you get this joy and you get joy for all different kinds of people, for neurodivergent people and for disabled people and for black characters. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that is really kind of special about it. Yeah. I think too, um, you know, having a wide variety of characters is, is really nice. Um, because you, again, like you were saying, Emily, you can, you see all different types of people getting their happy ever after or having that happy ending um, versus, you know, like in traditional uh, romance, if you go back, you know, further, a lot of times, you know, the characters are um, kind of like these alpha characters um, and, you know, they all kind of have a similar personality and they're all, you know, really good looking. So the man is very attractive and sexy and the woman is as well, or, or, you know, at least that, that, um, I guess I don't know traditional version of what whatever we consider to be sexy and attractive, and so it's nice to see like other characters that maybe don't fit those molds um, also find love. Yeah, there's something about I think if you go back and like, especially I think in Regency, but if you if you read older romances, it's a lot of like she's she's slender and he's chiseled. You know, and one of the things that's fun about these new, con more contemporary stories is you, the characters are attractive to each other. You know, like it's not like, oh, Chloe's fat. And so that's something he's attracted to her anyway. It's like, no, he's attracted to her just the way she is. So, so it's not even, it's like people get to be who they are fully and that's appreciated. Like that's loved and it's sexy to the other to the other lead in the story. We get to see all kinds of, all kinds of bodies too. Like we get to see, you know, in, um, take a hint, Danny Brown, the, the Zaf, who's the romantic male lead is Pakistani. And she like talks a lot about how he's sort of like this big guy and he's like kind of brawny and, but it's not like this, he's like chiseled, you know, like he's got a beard and, and, you know, his skin is brown and she like appreciates that about him. So it's not even just like, oh, we get to, we get to see other people who aren't sort of these narrow definitions of attractive getting their story. It's like, we get to appreciate them. They get to be, they get to be sexy too, which I think is really cool. Jennifer, are there other authors you want to talk about? Um, yeah, I wanted to mention Mia Sosa. So she's another author whose work I've really enjoyed and an author that I discovered doing the romance reading series um, at Renton. So she writes steamy and witty contemporary romances with Latinx characters. And she's got several series that you can try out. She has um, Unbuttoning the CEO, which is the first in her Suits Undone series. <laughs> and that does focus on bad boy CEOs and their love lives. 
Um, she also has a Love on Cue series that features actors and agents and stunt doubles who aren't looking for love, but they find it anyway. And she even has a new standalone rom-com that came out earlier this year called The Worst Best Man. And that got several starred reviews. So she's just really fun, relatable characters. Um, they're just, you know, good reads. I, I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that there's like a secret code to romance covers that are telegraphing or flagging information about what's inside. And that there's also like a heat scale that uh, romance readers can sort of adjust to their liking. Could you speak to those things? I can a little bit, although I actually, this is an interesting question because I think that's kind of changing right now. So it used to be that you could tell by looking at the cover of a book like how sexy it was going to be, like how, how detailed the sex scenes were going to be by how uh, clothed or unclothed the leads were, right? Like if the woman's dress is like falling off her shoulders and the man's shirt is unbuttoned down to the waist, you're going to get more vivid graphically described sex scenes than you are if like the woman is buttoned up and there's like a whole range there, right? So you're, you know, sort of super chaste, um, often Christian romances, the woman is going to be totally clothed and maybe she's wearing a bonnet or whatever. And then sort of on the other end, like something like a Sarah McLean who writes, she writes uh, really spicy Regency romances. Like people are going to be like sort of mostly naked or like wrapped in a sheet or, you know, um, but I think there's an interesting trend in covers right now that's trying to get away from sort of that Fabio-inspired, uh, you know, sort of photos or photo real people on the cover. And we see these much, these like really cute hand-drawn illustrations. So a lot of the ones we've talked about uh, today, like both of Talia Hibbert's books, Helen Hang's books, um, the Fumbled series that Jennifer talked about, they have these illustrated covers that are really cute and I think don't read as sort of traditional romance in the same way that those, those sort of photo covers do. And I think it's been good for the genre. Like I think people who might not open a might think that they're not romance readers would be willing to read one of these because it doesn't have that look to it. But I do think that that sort of secret code of like, how sexy is this book going to be? I think that code is lost a little bit uh, in these, in the illustrated covers. I don't know, Jennifer, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, I really like the illustrated covers, but yeah, you can't tell what is going to go on in that story. Um, I do think that they tend to be, um, covers that are going to be a, like a rom-com. Um, and they don't like, you wouldn't see a cover like that probably on a Regency romance. Cause they're still kind of following those, those, uh, traditional guidelines with covers. Yeah. I think that's true. But yeah. Um, yeah, they, yeah, you don't, you don't know how steamy it's going to be when you open it, but I really like those covers. I think they're, they're really attractive. Yeah, I agree. They're really cute. It's like, you know, they're very Instagrammable, which I'm sure is part of what they're going for. They want people to share what they're reading. I understand that a lot of people read Fifty Shades of Grey on a Kindle, possibly because they didn't want to be seen with that book <laughs> out in public while you're commuting, um, that it was a way to like hide your reading. And, you know, maybe these new covers sort of open up space for people to not feel ashamed of their reading and like we don't want anyone to feel ashamed of their reading but I'm wondering what you think about like the stigma associated with reading romance yeah there definitely is a stigma 
Um, and that was part of the reason I started the, the romance reading series. Cause I wanted to try and see if we could get, you know, explore the, the genre a little deeper and, um, I don't know, maybe just like get away from that a little bit. I did in doing so though, I did some research onto why there is that stigma. And, um, I guess it comes from like this, like the seventies and eighties when they had these lots of romances that were published. Um, and they're, they're called bodice rippers because there was usually a scene in them where, the, you know, the lead would rip the clothes off of the female lead. <laughs> and, and, um, sometimes definitely like there's, um, yeah, there's like basically like sexual assault going on <laughs> in these stories. And so, but anyway, that is also where you get like the, uh, the Fabio, um, kind of stereotypical romance cover. And so, um, yeah, there's just like, they just didn't get a lot of like respect, I guess, in the publishing industry. And I, I mean, part of that is because of the content, but I think part of it also is because it's a, it's stories that are written mostly by women, mostly for women. And so that's something that also just wasn't getting a lot of respect in the publishing industry. And so anyway, that stigma has carried over to today. Yeah, totally. There's definitely an element of sexism to it, but it's kind of astonishing, actually, because public romance is a huge segment of the sales of publishing. Uh, I think I didn't look up stats, which I should have done, but I think it makes up a, a very significant portion of sales. So it's sort of this interesting balance of like, you know, there used to be, it used to be a much more niche genre, I think. And I do think some of that stigma is going away as readers are talking sort of more publicly and reading a little bit more publicly, you know, sharing on their social media, what they're reading. I think some of the stigma of that is going away. But for example, I had a coworker when I first started in libraries who had a Goodreads account that she used, you know, to share what she was reading. And she told me one day that she had a separate Goodreads account where she was tracking her romance reading. And I was like, that made me so sad, you know, to think that there's like this whole category of stories that you enjoy. And yet you feel like you can't share that because it has this reputation of being sort of trashy or not well-written or, you know, again, like by women, for women, about women, and so therefore not serious somehow. Uh, I, I think and I hope that that is going away. Uh, and I, I do think that these sort of cute, appealing covers are part of that attempt on publishing on the publisher's behalf to kind of say, Oh, we don't need to limit the kinds of, we don't need to limit who we're marketing this to. Like we should be marketing these more broadly, making them more visually appealing for all kinds of readers, because it turns out that like people really like stories about people, about people who like falling in love with you, with each other, learning about each other, learning about themselves. And again, like getting that happy ending. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with author Jasmine Guillory. Be sure to go to our website at kcls.org backslash desk set to find show notes with more information about the books we talked about. And don't forget to go to kcls.org slash tend to try to check in for this year's uh, tend to try reading challenge. All the books we talked about today count as staff picks and they might fit into some of the other categories too. So thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.